Welcome to Battalion 13, the podcast, episode 4. Darian was tossing in his sleep. Dark memories revealed themselves to his unconscious mind in the form of dreams. However, this was more of a nightmare. He was younger, about 12. His siblings, Matt and Madeline, younger by a couple of years, had vanished in the middle of the night. Sean shook Darian awake in a panic. He had no idea what had happened to them and was very concerned about their safety. When Darian awoke from his dream, his conscious mind became aware that he was witnessing a memory. This memory occurred about a year before Sean left for the academy. He was a senior in high school, and he was put in charge of the younger kids while their parents were out late at a work function. Sean shook Darian again. Hey, uh, Matt and Maddie are gone. I, I don't know where they went. I need your help finding them. Where's Sam? She's usually better at finding them. In- I, I don't know. I think she said she had a date tonight. She didn't tell me where she was going. Darian sat up in his twin bed and swung his feet around so that he could stand up. He walked over to his dresser and grabbed a pair of blue jeans and a black t-shirt. Okay, they can't have gotten too far. They were here a couple of hours ago when I went to sleep. I don't know, Darian. I have a bad feeling about this. They began their search in the woods behind their house. It was nearly an hour before they finally found them. Madeline was unconscious and there was blood seeping from a small wound in her forehead. Matt was screaming and it looked like he may have attacked her. His eyes were glazed over and he seemed to be foaming at the mouth a little. Darian approached him first. Matt! What the hell happened here? Why is Maddie hurt? You don't understand. She's barely even hurt. If we don't stop this, it'll kill us all. You are so strong. Help me. Darian was confused. What was Matt talking about? There was no one else there. Matt, we, we need to get her to the hospital. Stand aside. Don't you see it? We can't let it get past us. It'll destroy everything. Darian and Sean looked at each other. Darian shrugged and turned his attention back toward Matt. Matt suddenly turned and lunged at Darian, enraged. Sean, acting on instinct, stepped in between the two. Matt lashed out at and scratched Sean in the face, leaving behind four slashes. Two of them barely bled, but the other two were deeper and would definitely leave scars. The attack left Sean off balance and he fell back and hit his head on a rock. He was knocked unconscious. Matt turned his focus to Darian and raised his hand into an offensive position. Darian noticed that two of Matt's fingernails were more like claws. That explained why two of the scratches were deeper than the others. Matt suddenly lunged at him with his uneven claws. Surprised at the attack, Darian reacted with instinct and his self-defense training took over. He stepped out of Matt's way and then hit him hard in the back of the neck. Matt dropped to the ground instantly. He was out cold. Darian dropped down next to Sean to check his pulse. It felt strong, so he immediately turned his attention to Madeline. She was alive, but Darian couldn't determine how bad her injuries were. All he knew was that Matt went crazy and attacked her. He also thought about his own strength. He hit Matt really hard and knocked him out with one strike. He was getting stronger every day. It was at that moment that Sean woke up and rubbed his head. His face was bleeding pretty bad. What happened? I had to knock Matt out. Maddie's hurt, but I don't think it's bad. Either way, we need to get you three to the hospital. Your face is bleeding like a dripping faucet. You may need stitches. 
Man, Mom and Dad are gonna be so pissed. What got into Matt? Darian shook his head, indicating that he had no idea. Sean picked up Madeline, and Darian picked up Matt as they walked quickly to Sean's car, which was parked in their driveway. They drove to the hospital and warned the hospital staff about Matt. They took precautions and fastened him to a bed with handcuffs and restraints. Madeline was okay. She explained what happened. As she spoke, Darian's dream began to shift, and it melted into a memory he shouldn't have. It seemed that Matt saw some kind of light. Matt's arm covered his face as a blinding light flashed. Madeline was shielded from direct line of sight by Matt's body. Ah! Matt, are you okay? That flash was so bright. I'm fine. Maybe we should go home, okay? I don't like this game anymore. Matt remained silent, kneeling with his head in his hands. Matt, walk me home, please. It's coming? No. Too late. Here. Have to stop. So many. Can't stop. No. Must. I... Matt, you're... Quiet! Matt swiped at her with his hand, striking her forehead and knocking her back. As Madeline fell, Darian woke with a start. He woke up with more insight on what had happened that night, or at least a theory. Perhaps Matt had been possessed by some kind of demon or put under some kind of dark spell. Maybe his insanity was not his fault at all. Darian thought about waking Kristen to tell her about this memory, to discuss his new theory, but decided to let her sleep. Maybe Sean or even Sam would be able to tell him more about what happened that night. There would be time later. The next day, the teacher was conspicuously missing when Darian and his friends arrived to their first class. They didn't know if this was normal practice or if they should be concerned, so they just began socializing with the other people in the class while they waited for the teacher to arrive. Darian, being the outgoing person that he was, decided to strike up a conversation with a dark-haired man who was sitting directly behind him. Hi, I'm Darian. The dark, chestnut-brown-haired man gave a little half-smile. George, how you doing? Good. So what do you think happened to the teacher? Sometimes they run late because of stuff they need to do between classes. You know, like using the restroom or having an unexpected check-in with a supervisor from the United Alliance of Dimensions. Stuff like that. And they have other responsibilities to keep up with. Paperwork, things like that. You sound like someone who's been around for a while. Why are you in a class with a bunch of newbies? You're right. This isn't my first rodeo. I came for order of the magistrate training. Someone has to keep an eye on all the supernaturals that fight on our side. That is where I want to contribute. Part of that is retaking some classes, but from a different perspective. Oh yeah? My brother was telling me about the order last night, after dinner. Who's your brother? Sean Kane. Oh, the dreamwalking instructor. Yeah, he was a student the first time I was here. I was actually kind of surprised when he decided to stay on as an instructor. Why's that? Well, I remember him saying he really missed his family when he first got here. Then he met Alicia, and the two of them were inseparable. I think she was the reason he stayed. She is from another Earth, and if they decide to return to their respective worlds, they may have never seen each other again. I guess being with her outweighed Sean's homesickness. Yeah, he told me as much when I first saw him here. I still think it's odd that I couldn't remember him until I saw him. Interdimensional travel does have some crazy side effects. 
The door burst open, and a woman who was definitely not the instructor from the previous day entered. Sorry, Emily. Your instructor was unexpectedly called away for a short but important meeting concerning his homeworld. There was attack on Palladius III, which I suppose now is an obsidian class world. Four cities have been wiped out of existence. Members of the battalions are being dispatched now. It's protocol to inform anyone here who is from the world that is being attacked so that we can give them the option to join the response team. Your instructor is from that world and has decided to go, so I will be taking over this class until he returns. Everyone except George was taken aback by this news. To George, it was commonplace. He tapped Darion on the shoulder. This happens sometimes. It is tragic, but this is what we train for. Darian suddenly remembered the dream he had just before high school graduation. He raised his hand to get the instructor's attention. Once the instructor nodded to him, he felt free to speak. What kind of attack could destroy entire cities? We don't know. We never know until the event has been investigated. Could be anything from an all-out attack from an enemy nation on another world or continent to some sort of natural disaster that triggered the sensor net and alerted us to what was happening. We should know more in the next few hours, and every instructor is on alert to keep everyone, including students, in the loop. This is what you're training for, after all. Chad raised his hand and, when called on, asked a question. You mentioned a sensor net. What is that? The sensor net was to be covered in a later lesson, but I guess now is as good a time as any. She picked up her tablet and pressed a few points on the screen. Okay, class. Pick up your tablet and access page 312 of file 1 for interdimensional studies. This chapter is called Interdimensional Sensor Net. Mr. Ender, since you were keen to learn this, please read for us the definition of the interdimensional sensor net. The interdimensional sensor net is a highly technological sensor that is invisible to any form of detection other than those used by the maintenance engineers for repair purposes. This sensor net provides intelligence concerns affecting any space-time disruptions to any of the planets or dimensions that would impact members of the United Alliance of Dimensions. This sensor net detects extra-normal activity such as demon attacks as well as nuclear activity in worlds where there should be no nuclear activity. The IDSN, Interdimensional Sensor Net, can also be used as an alert to any activity that may require diplomatic attention. If any unauthorized activity happens on any of the UAD protected worlds where the IDSN is functional, a unit is sent to deal with that activity. This raised other questions. Kristen was the next task one. What is the UAD? The UAD is the United Alliance of Dimensions. Access file 165 on your tablet and go straight to chapter 1. You will see the first chapter is called UAD. Please read the definition, Mrs. King. The UAD, or United Alliance of Dimensions, is a cooperative consisting of hundreds of thousands of different worlds. The UAD contains members spanning different dimensions of Earth, along with many other planets that are in galaxies barely known to humankind. The highest level of government clearance is needed in order to have even the slightest knowledge of our alliance. Not all UAD protected planets and dimensions have knowledge of the UAD's existence. Their knowledge of it depends greatly on the technological and philosophical development of said world. 
Kristen knew some of this from what Sean had told them the previous night. Darian decided to speak up. The response team comes from the battalions, right? This caught the instructor by surprise. She looked at him as if to ask how he knew that. Oh, we had dinner with my brother Sean last night. He told us all about it. Of course. Well, it's no secret to any student here. Class, access file 42 and go to the first chapter. Three pages in, you will find a definition for the battalions. Mr. Kane, since you seem to know a bit about this, why don't you read this definition? The battalions are specialized Terra Prime-based military, medical, and diplomatic units that are dispatched to any number of UAD-protected worlds to police unauthorized activity. These units consist of highly specialized experts ranging from frontline soldiers to multilingual diplomats. Most of the personnel in these units have some special abilities that are beyond the general abilities of normal humans. The teams are divided into 13 subunits, each dealing with specific types of unauthorized activities or disasters. The instructor elaborated a bit more on the subject. Yes, the battalions are teams that only the best of the best will be asked to join. Not all of you will be asked to join, and on rare occasion, a person that has never even attended this academy will be asked to join. It just depends on what skills are required at the time. Max was skeptical. It seems odd to recruit from outside the school. What qualifications would someone need if they haven't trained here? Why would someone be recruited and not be required to go through this training? Well, sometimes a person is recruited if they have had a lot of independent experience in fighting demons, or perhaps disaster recovery. Being self-taught, their methods may be unorthodox, but they can provide valuable contributions. Just because they weren't trained here doesn't mean they aren't highly skilled or even more skilled than our own trainees. Recruits for the battalions are chosen from the elite military and civilian populations of every world that is protected under the UAD. We try to keep an open mind and don't discriminate against any gene pool. This institution is undoubtedly the best place to recruit new members for the battalions, but it is certainly not the only place. It is also important to note that once a situation that requires an outside resource is resolved, that individual is given the option to attend classes here to strengthen their skill level and then return to the team after further training. Chad had another question for the instructor. What is each battalion's mission or purpose? Excellent question. Battalion 1 handles natural disasters such as major earthquakes, hurricanes, typhoons, and the like. Battalion 2 is our diplomatic unit. They work with the opposing side to bring end to conflicts peaceably, when possible. Battalion 3 deals with post-apocalyptic situations on Obsidian-class worlds. Battalion 4 is made up of archaeological specialists, and they seek out special interest relics. These are often objects of myth or legend, such as Excalibur or the Holy Grail. Artifacts capable of affecting humanoids in some way, either positively or negatively. Battalion 5's clandestine special agents deal in the wetworks, such as assassinations of tyrants or threats to the UAD. Battalion 6 handles subaquatic problems like repairs for our underwater outposts. Battalion 7 deals with battle cleanup and restoration of towns and cities. Battalion 8 is a medical unit comprised of elite medics with a focus on curing infectious diseases. Battalion 9 responds to man-made disasters such as biological and chemical warfare. Battalion 10 provides recovery support for major accidents and disasters on Magenta-class worlds. You have to be completely mellow in those types of worlds. <laughs> there is a great deal of advancement there, but the people are very calm and collected. A lot of geniuses working together over time to make the worlds better. 
Battalion 11 specializes in radiological disasters and radiation cleanup. Battalion 12 is in charge of weapon design and development. Battalion 13 is in charge of managing the supernatural and paranormal. And that is the battalion that is most often in need of new members as it is extremely dangerous work. Members of Battalion 13 don't always survive. Yes, the other battalions are important, but the work with the highest threat is given to Battalion 13. Wrapping up her answer, the instructor noticed the time. Looks like we are running out of time, so we will continue the lesson plan set by your previous instructor tomorrow. Dominators sauntered through the dismal wasteland. Dead bodies were strewn all around. No one had bothered even to move the rotting corpses that lay across pathways. The roads were covered with blood and viscera. She walked into a building, which had crumbled under the forces of explosives and gunfire. Though bordering on complete exhaustion, she climbed the higher floors and overlooked the city of ash and dust. Looking down, she saw a small cloth hand peeking out of the rubble. She carefully lifted chunks of debris, exposing the item itself. The object was so small, it could be held in one of her hands. Its seams appeared to have been cut open and several of its limbs had been torn off. Stuffing was falling out of it, and red stains covered that which was still hanging from its lifeless body. She noted that this was a stuffed bear as she zeroed in on its animalistic stout. It had been stained merlot, but its body was clearly supposed to be a chestnut color. It stared emptily at her, with a demented and painful smile, as if it was still hoping that whatever child had owned it would return one day to collect it. Dominator looked into the deep ocean pools of its eyes and could see black stormy seas. She held her breath as she continued to stare blankly ahead. Reality faded away as visions filled her mind. She remembered. She heard laughing. A child's laugh, happy and gleeful. She recalled a child's short, sandy brown bobbed hair kissed by mid-morning sunlight. It streamed in through a nearby window, and the feeling of sleepiness tugged her, beckoning her to go back up the staircase nearby so that she could drift back to slumber. However, something told her to stay downstairs and watch this child today. Dominator smiled and looked at the small being, gleefully bouncing its toy and happily chittering to itself. The child held a small brown bear in her hands. It had blue eyes with indefinitely dead yet deep black dots in the middle. The plush toy seemed to stare at her and the child at the same time. She stepped closer to the child and a floorboard creaked underneath her weight. The child, in her green elephant onesie, stopped her playful utterances and turned around quickly, rolling halfway onto their slightly pudgy tummy. She couldn't make out the child's face, but she remembered her gleeful expression and how the child's deep hazel eyes lit up at the sight of her. Mommy! The child cried out as she goofily scrambled to her feet and slipped along the hardwood floor, trying to run up to her. Without any grace, the three-year-old tackled her legs and gave them a big, firm squeeze. Dominator remembered saying something after that, but what? It was unclear and fuzzy. But then she remembered as she saw herself walking into the kitchen while holding her child. She seated her in a booster seat at the table, teddy bear in hand. The girl quietly chittered with a toy while she made something to eat for them both. They had been chowing down on warm cereal she'd made for them when the teddy bear fell into the child's food, staining its snout. She saw the child's eyes cloud over with toxic dew, and then, before the crying spell began, her heart broke into tatters, and she began comforting the small being. 
I'll watch Baron. He'll be as right as rain in no time. Just you wait. She firmly held the child's head to her chest and whispered to her in a happy, soft tone. A small sniffle came from the child, and she felt the up-and-down shake of her child's small head. Dominator did not understand why the child's name, nor even that of the bear, could not reach her mind. But she remembered the love and care she felt for this child. She remembered all the giddy laughter she heard with the child, until that last time when, after a few moments, the laughter turned to screaming. Dominator's bright, happy world soon turned dark. Terror shook her to her core. She lay down under a weight that was invisible, and then she sat up a bit. Her home was now a wreck. Rubble and glass were strewn everywhere, and walls appeared to have crumbled under a strong force which exposed metal bars that stuck out like the bars of a cage. A tall man with eerily glowing eyes and a malicious smile stared down at her child, whose eyes were big with water spilling out from them in a deluge of terror and desperation. The child's scream made Dominator's blood curdle, and her muscles stiffened with fear and panic. He picked the child up by its arm and slung it carelessly over his shoulder. This innocent life wailed as it hit and kicked at the man. He wasn't fazed by the child's protests and just continued to walk away, uncaring. Mommy! Mommy, come help me! Save me, Mommy! Help me, please! Dominator felt sensation returning. The paralytic state was wearing off. She rolled onto her stomach and weakly tried to stand up. She felt a warm liquid drip onto the palm of her hand, and a sharp, crippling pain hit her as her brain finally began to process it. She touched her hand to her neck and looked at it. A shiny black and red liquid stained her fingertips. She felt more warm liquids fill her eyes as her child left her sight slowly and her vision faded. Dominator's memory was vague, but she saw the man slam her child's head into a wall, leaving her child lifeless and still like a corpse. Dominator then collapsed onto the floor and passed out. When she came to, she ignored the stabbing pain in her neck and desperately called out for her child. Without thinking, the name suddenly came to her lips. She remembered it. Adelaide? Adelaide? Wh where are you, baby girl? She frantically searched the debris of what was once a place she had called home, but she found nothing. No signs of Adelaide. No signs of the man who had taken her. All that was left was a small stuffed bear, with blue eyes and blood-stained limbs. She collapsed on the floor. For a while, she only sobbed and screamed. The feeling of the loss crumpled her heart more than looking at Adelaide's face when she cried out to her in those last moments as the mysterious fiend took her. The blood that fell from her neck had dried now, but there was a weakness that had sunk into her limbs, which made her shake. When she'd finished sobbing, she looked around the room. Her home was in shambles, her child was gone, and all that remained was a small, stuffed bloody bear. She roared with rage the room slowly turning crimson, and then she woke up. Dominator. Dominator. She looked to her right. Nightmare was now standing over her. She touched her face, feeling water streaming down it in rivulets. She wiped the tears away. I have need of your services. Some of my subordinates need to be taught a lesson. You are most aptly skilled for such tasks. He looked over her, noting the toy in her hand. She didn't wish to ever risk forgetting her child again, so she quietly pocketed the toy and smiled. A light shade of scarlet filled her vision. With pleasure. 
Next, Darian and his friends went to their self-defense class. This time the instructor was ready and waiting. He was about 5 feet 9 inches tall, with long wavy red hair and a slight but athletic build. He had introduced himself the previous day as Mr. Jake Madison. He asked everyone to call him Jake. Jake was setting up a balance beam in the middle of the room. Once finished, he took a tiny remote out of his pocket and hit a sequence of buttons. Two ropes dropped down, one on each side of the beam. I need two volunteers for an exercise in balanced combat. I want in. Me too. Darian and Max stepped up onto the beam. Okay, I want you each to climb the rope until I say stop. They climbed to five feet above the balance beam when Jake spoke. Stop. Now, swing yourselves back and forth, and when you're sure you're over the top of it, let go of the rope and drop onto the beam without falling off. This is more difficult than it seems. Once you get this down, we'll move to the next step. This may take several attempts, but don't worry, the mats on either side will catch you should you fall. Darian swung back and forth, let go of the rope, and landed on the beam where he stayed for approximately a split second when he fell to the right side onto the mat. Max swung back and forth a few times, attempting to get himself to the perfect drop point. Once satisfied, he released the rope and landed on the mat to the left of the beam. They each got up to try again. This time Darian landed to the left of the beam, and Max landed on the beam and kept his balance for about three seconds before falling to the right. On the next attempt, Max landed on the beam and managed to maintain his balance. Woohoo! I got it! Try to beat that bodacious landing. Darian landed on the beam and slipped off to the left, but this time there was no impact with the mat. Jake raised his eyebrows as Darian hovered a few inches in the air and gently descended to the ground. Darian stood up, unsure of what had just transpired. He saw the confused faces of his classmates all around, and shot Jake his own look of confusion. What just happened? It appears one of your abilities just manifested for the first time. You floated for just a moment above the mat, and then dropped the rest of the way. It may take some time to master, but you have advanced telekinesis, or flight capabilities. Darian didn't know how to react to this. Was this why they had chosen him? Was that the purpose of this exercise? Jake smiled wryly. No, just a fortunate happenstance. Once you learn how to master this ability, it will also help you with your balance and greatly improve your fighting skills. Will I be able to remember this when I go home? You'll remember how to do this when it's needed, yes. But first, you need to master it. I can help you after your classes today if you're interested. Darian wasn't sure what to make of all this. Uh, yeah, I guess I should get a handle on it. Okay, meet me here after you're finished for the day. After defense class ended, it was time for lunch. Max and Chad were the first to grab their grub and find a good table. The remainder of the group filtered in over the next few minutes. As Darian and Kristen sat down, Max gestured indicating he had a question for Darian. So, D, how was dinner with your brother? Did he tell you any grody stories about how you were as a child? Yeah. You seem to know a lot today. What did he tell you guys? Is this place a cult? Darian had just started eating. He was uncharacteristically hungry. Once he swallowed his first bite, he started talking. Well, we learned quite a bit last night. We learned about the battalions and how our memories of this place will work. Just a lot. Jesse perked up. This had definitely gotten his attention. Our memories of this place? Darian explained what he had learned. The whole table was silent for a few moments. 
Darian was the first to speak again, but only after he inhaled a bit more food. Guys, it doesn't matter. We will remember anyone who comes back with us, and even if what we remember is fragmented, once we need the information, it'll be there. Look, it's not the end of the world. Max, no childhood horror stories, and Chad, I don't think this place is a cult, but it is very weird. Sean said that it is designed in a way so that once we leave here, we will not be distracted and can move on with our lives. That is important. But isn't there any way I can retain what I've learned? More than the skills I'll learn here, I'd like to keep the memories of my experiences. Darian tried to answer, but his mouth was full of food. So instead he put his index finger in the air to symbolize that he would answer the question after he was done chewing. Everyone sat in silence until he swallowed. The only way that we will have full recollection of the events that transpire here is if we are chosen for the battalions. How does that work? Well, it has to do with consistent interdimensional travel. If we stay too long in one dimension, we will lose our ability to recall events and people that are a part of any other dimension we have visited. However, there are a few exceptions. If someone from another dimension left with us, we would retain the memory of them and they, us. In the case of the battalions, the interdimensional travel is frequent enough that the memory loss doesn't set in. And how do we get chosen for a battalion? We prove ourselves. The best of the best are chosen. It may not happen immediately either. There also has to be a need. Sean spoke of cases where recruits were back on their homeworld for years before a need for their skill set arose. I would guess that once such a person began to work with the battalions, they would attain full recall of their work and training here. Jesse was still concerned, but decided to let it go. They told him everything they knew, and he supposed there wasn't anything they could do about it. Max looked at Darian with a smirk. So you can fly, huh? Yeah, who knew, right? Aren't you afraid of heights? Kristen leaned in close to Darian. That could be an issue. Guess you hadn't thought of that, buddy. Crap. You're right, Chad. How are you going to get past that, Darian? Darian reached for his drink and took a few gulps. I really don't know. I guess I'll have to work on that. Wow, this is not going to be easy. I wonder what abilities I will have. Jake Madison sat at his desk, holding his phone to his ear. He had just finished dialing. It was ringing on the other end. His wife answered. Hello? Hey, Sam. Did you see the UAD compliance memo? Yes. Are you on a secure line? Of course. I'm calling from my office at the Academy. I guess we can work on the learning together. I'd really like your help on the off-world travelers portion. You know so much more about that than I do. And you can help me with the Academy lockdown procedure. I haven't done that in ages. I'm going to be a little late tonight. I'm training a new cadet who may have flight capabilities. It's Darian. My little brother can fly. Very interesting. Do you think he has potential for Battalion 13? I think he just might. We'll see what we learn tonight in training. Darian and his friends continue to be full of surprises. I'm actually getting ready to train his classmate, Denise. The training course is pretty well timed. Samantha began to read a portion of the memo. United Alliance of Dimensions Initial Training. UAD Initial Training Guide. New Clearance. Standard Form 715A. 
UAD Initial Training Guide Reinstated Clearance Training Acknowledgement Form 718B Yes, I'll read this training and memo before I head home. Take your time with Darian. I'll make something homemade and leave it in the oven on warm for you. As a thank you for taking the extra time with him. Anything for you, Sam. Consider it done. After returning from their Timor expedition, Trent escorted Ethan and John Matthews past several small research labs until they reached a large one filled with some grandiose and truly impressive equipment. Ethan noted a lab table on which a cybernetic arm was laid out. He nudged John and pointed. It's like something out of a Terminator movie. (laughs) Something like that. No need to worry. We do not have any of those roaming around the campus. A woman, evidently a scientist judging by her white lab coat, looked up from the vial she was working with briefly. Oh, visitors. Just one moment, please. Of course, we shall wait. The scientist continued about her work for a few more minutes. Suddenly, she stood up, looking rather pleased with herself, and then walked over to greet her visitors. Apologies. I was in the middle of an experiment, and it couldn't be interrupted. Seems it went well. Yes, quite. I was told that our newly harvested Tamoldu should be brought to a doctor. Jaeger, I am afraid I am not familiar with the name. Ah yes, that's me. I only just arrived here a few weeks ago. I've been stationed elsewhere for some time, but they need me here, and so I have come. Timmer juice, you say? That will be most helpful with the next phase of my research. What exactly is it that you're researching? My focus has always been on weaponry. We need new and efficient means to combat our enemies. They're always working to up their game, and we need to keep up. Or even better, surpass them. And you're saying the Timor Jews will help you with that? Well, yes. Shortly after I arrived, I received instruction from the Admiral's office with specifications of a type of weapon they are in desperate need of. I immediately requested that Timor Juice be acquired toward that end, as it will be key in the development of said weapon. Wait, what? No one told me I was helping to build a weapon. Did you know about this, Trent? I assure you, if I had known about it, I certainly would have divulged that information to you. I am just as surprised at the reason for this request as you are. John was the only one who appeared unfazed. So what are they? Excuse me? The specifications. Ah, yes. The battalions require a weapon capable of propelling a non-lethal, long-range projectile for the purposes of clearing out bystanders from hot zones, or to cause the enemy to flee, thereby avoiding battle. I believe that I can achieve both goals with the Timur Juice. This should trigger a fight or flight response to those exposed, and any who are ill-prepared to fight should simply flee. Of course, it will require some experimentation, and I will likely need to combine it with other compounds to get the controlled effect we're looking for. Also, there's the potential to modify it into something a bit more aggressive, and see chaos and confusion in the enemy ranks during a battle, using their own against them. Avoiding unnecessary battle sounds like a noble cause, but that last bit sounds wrong somehow. I know how that stuff made me feel when we were going after the Timmers. You are the empath, are you not? For you, the feeling is much more intense. It is manipulative to be sure, but there are always qualms like this when weapons of war are involved. War is not pretty, 
and it is certainly not noble, but it is necessary. And so is this weapon, if we want to win it. I cannot help but agree with Ethan. We should be very careful in the use of this type of weaponry. Turning people against their own by exploiting their emotions may be a step too far. Even if we were to lose without it, what if we're desperate? Touché. Even then, I would like to think there is another way. Can you promise us it won't be used otherwise? Only the Admiral can make that sort of promise. Professor Kane arrived to teach his dreamwalking class, and the door slid closed behind him. He acknowledged the class, pleased to see that they were all present, and then touched a few buttons on his tablet. The lights dimmed, a few more buttons and a screen came down from the wall behind him. Sean introduced the video. This video is about safety concerns when sharing a dream. Both their safety and yours. Dreamwalking can be hazardous. But if done correctly, it can be very therapeutic and beneficial for all parties involved. Watch carefully and learn. Sean pressed play and the video began with stars and a voiceover which sounded like his own. There are two methods for successfully entering someone's dream. These methods have been refined over hundreds of years. For both methods, you must focus on the person whose dream you wish to join. It takes a lot of practice and it can take years to perfect. The video showed Sean sitting with a female student on cushions on the floor of a classroom. For the first method, which we'll call the practice method, you must sit with the person whose dream you wish to enter and begin a meditation. You'll both focus on the other person and allow yourself to fall asleep. Once successful, you'll be in the same dream. The video changed scenery to a bedroom which had a young woman sleeping, but also showed another bedroom in which Sean was laying down on a bed and meditating. The other option is the remote method. For this method, the person whose dream you wish to enter must already be asleep. You'll then concentrate on the person and allow yourself to drift to sleep. Once asleep, if successful, you'll be in that person's dream, capable of affecting it. The video changed again, and this time it showed Sean in his classroom looking straight at the camera. There are several rules that go into effect when you enter someone's dream. The first rule is that dreamwalking should only be used to help someone work through issues that can cause nightmares. That rule is designed so that you and the participant can stay in a positive mindset. You don't want your thoughts to affect another person's dream. The second rule is harm none. It is very easy to get frustrated with the dreamer and feel like you want to attack the participant in some way. You must resist that urge and try to keep everything positive. There's just one more matter I wish to discuss in this video. Dream rape. Once you enter someone's dream, it is easy to let your natural sexual urges take over. You must only allow this if the person whose dream you are in is a willing participant. Otherwise, you must respect that person's wishes and leave sex out of the dream. After that last message, the video turned off and the lights came back on. Sean looked at the class. Any questions? Jesse raised his hand. Yes, you there. When are we going to start practicing this? Next class. The class was over. Everyone filed out of the class, except for Darian and Kristen. 
Sean, I think some of my friends would like to meet you at some point and learn more about your experiences here, like we did last night. Sean nodded. We can do that soon, but I do not want you missing ability management again. Darian nodded, and he and Kristen hurried off. When Darian and Kristen walked into the room, they saw a circle of folding chairs with an office chair in the middle so the teacher could swivel and include everyone in the lesson. They watched as everyone sat down and then found seats in between Jesse and Chad. The instructor was a short, statured woman with short black hair and a thin frame. The instructor noticed Darian immediately. You missed class yesterday, Mr. Darian felt a bit odd being singled out, but he decided to roll with it. Darian Kane, I was held up yesterday talking. Ah, this is an important class, Mr. Kane, and I do not have time to play catch up. If you miss another class for any other reason, you will need to get your brother Sean to teach you. He is the one who held you up, is he not? Darian was about to answer, but she cut him off again. Is that clear, Mr. Kane? Darian was taken aback by how upset she seemed. It was just one class. The instructor began to calm down and then introduced herself. My name is Professor Deborah Milstead. As you missed orientation, you will have to jump right in without the benefit of preparation. She then turned her attention to the rest of the class. Today, I would like to start with a meditation that can help calm one down after an emotional upset. This can be very useful as all of our abilities are tied to our emotions. What does this mean, Mr. Endo? Chad didn't miss a beat. It means that our control of our abilities is greatly dependent on our control of our emotions. <laughs> that is correct, Mr. Endo. This can be particularly difficult for empaths as they not only have their own emotions to contend with, but also the emotions of those around them. Therefore, it is important to understand how to switch off any empathetic abilities so you may focus on what you're feeling, rather than what everyone else is feeling. Learning to distinguish your own feelings from the feelings of others is a vital part of being an empath. If you cannot, your decisions may be based on the feelings that are not your own, and then you are inherently compromised. Now, for the meditation, I want each of you to close your eyes and picture a serene setting where you feel the most at peace. This is called a sanctuary. Once you've created this place in your mind, I want you to imagine sitting there in your most comfortable clothing and breathing in the fresh air. Take deep breaths through your nose and out through your mouth. Breathe slowly and release all your tension. Do this until you are completely relaxed. She waited a few moments while she observed the class by spinning slowly in her chair so she could see everyone. Seeing Darian, she at once felt regret for her harsh words. She reached out telepathically. I am sorry that I was so hard on you. I do not agree with the way your brother approaches things in this school. I will try not to take that out on you. Hearing the voice in his mind, Darian nodded so she could see that he accepted her apology. He felt a bit more relaxed and was able to fully immerse himself into the meditative exercise. After class, Darian approached the professor. Professor Milstead, I have to ask, what is your problem with Sean? It seems like everyone else here has a lot of respect for him, but you don't seem to like him at all. The professor looked up from what she was doing and gave Darian her complete attention. 
I think Sean stayed here for all the wrong reasons. I think he misses your world terribly and should go home. Darian was taken aback. I don't understand. When your brother first got here, all he could do was talk about his family and how he wanted to see his little brothers and sister grow up to be great people. His mind was set on going home. It was all he talked about until Alicia came along. She changed everything for him. His obsession with going home shifted into an obsession with her. He would do anything to stay with her. So, naturally, since they were from different worlds, their only option was to stay here together. Darian was still confused. They love each other. What's wrong with that? <laughs> no, that's not love. That is obsession. He was so afraid of losing her. He wouldn't even go home for a visit. He'd family and life on your earth just to be with her. It was not a healthy decision, and it was a mistake for the magistrates to allow him to stay on as a teacher. He didn't stay here for love. He stayed here because he was afraid to lose Alicia. He acted out of pure fear, an emotion, I might add, that I thought I had trained him to control. I fear the ramifications if something were to happen to her or their relationship were to sour. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but a lot of the staff have been won over by his charm. I'm immune to it because I believe I know the real Sean, the scared man-child who just wants to go home. She thought for a moment, then realized she had left something out. And is ideas about religion being the thing that held up your society's evolution are a bit off. Your sister Sam, however, chose her path properly. She married Jake Madison because she was truly in love with him. She chose to become a recruiter for the academy so she could actually help our cause. Because of her choices, more students have been chosen for the battalions than ever before. She is truly an exceptional person. Darian didn't know what to make of this. On the one hand, his memories of his brother were sketchy at best due to the fact that Sean had never come home. On the other hand, what he could remember of Sean was that he was a little bit of a control freak. Darian had to process this and figure out what to do with this information. He was happy to hear that at least his sister had the professor's approval, and hoped that whatever choices he and his friends made would be driven by love instead of fear. I can see by the look on your face that you were having a hard time with this. Please just be careful. Your brother may have seemed happy to see you, but this sudden reminder of home may be his undoing. He's not emotionally stable. Please keep this just between the two of us. He is a talented teacher, but mark my words, your arrival may push him over the edge. After many weeks of interdimensional travel, Denise had a form of jet lag that her valedictorian brain couldn't articulate. Today she had been assigned living quarters at the UAD. Denise turned on the TV, removed her traveling clothes, and the ponytail holder in her hair. She began to draw herself a bath, but stopped when she heard her name. Good afternoon, Denise. My name is Fred, short for Winifred. I hope you find your UAD quarters quite satisfactory. You can tune your television to Channel 13 anytime to get UAD updates on current events and special bulletins. If you tune your television to Channel 1, I'll give you tips on the campus here. Denise powered down the television. She had been briefed enough today. 
For now, a warm bath, a cup of chamomile, and a nap was what she needed. A stained glass coffin sat atop a white wooden altar, laser lights of every color blinking within its case. Nightmare stroked a slick veneer and felt hopeful that he'd soon be reunited with his mate. His thoughts were interrupted by Destroyer entering the sanctuary. My friend, I have some disturbing news. It appears that Dominator has been torturing the new recruits. I suppose your toss-outs weren't enough for her. I found James in her dungeon. He's in an awful state. Thank you for bringing this to my attention, Destroyer. Please release James from his restraints and clean him up. Find him someone to eat. Already done. Thank you. Dominator will pay dearly for this. As you know, soon she will be laying here. Nightmare laid his hand on the casket as he spoke. And there are no regrets now. She will serve my purpose as well. Any one renegade caught not following the ethical protocol will be sacrificed as well. Trust me, you're coming through loud and clear. Professor Maheg was in the middle of an important lecture on the mythos of immortals in popular culture. And none of these television shows accurately portray what it is to be or even to know an immortal. The closest representation is that one about the vampire cop, but even that is very far from the truth. Maybe one day, these hack writers will actually meet a vampire or a mortal, and then they will be able to accurately portray one. He was interrupted by a knock at the door. Annoyed, he opened the door to find Darian standing there, a bit confused. <sighs> yes? There is no handle, just some sort of card reader. You're late. You also neglected to acquire a late pass. I will excuse it this once, but in the future, you will require a card to arrive late. And don't make a habit of it. Please take a seat. Darian sat in the same seat as last time and looked around for a second. What are we talking about? Well, Mr. Kane, we were discussing the many television programs and movies in your world that revolve around the idea of immortal beings. Any thoughts? Darian thought about this for a moment before replying. I think the reason there are so many popular works of fiction that involve immortal beings is due to a fear of death that is prevalent in all mortals. We never know when we will die, and the idea of living forever seems appealing. People forget that living forever doesn't mean that everyone important in your life will live forever as well. Watching all those you care about grow old and die while you stay young forever is not as ideal as most people think it would be. This response pleasantly surprised Meg. A very interesting point, and very true. It can be very sad to outlive those you have grown close to. It can be difficult for an immortal to maintain friendships with mortals for this very reason. Does anyone else have something to add? Max raised his hand. Yes, Mr. Knight. Another reason that immortality is so popular has to do with people's fear of change. The only thing constant in the universe is change. 
but if one were immortal, that would also be constant. It's comforting. That does make sense. However, in a way, it's quite morbid to consider that a comfort when you take into account all that would change and all who would die around you over time, leaving you behind and alone. What Meheg said got Darien thinking. Would he want immortality? Life without end? The price just seemed too high. Darien was lost in thought for a few minutes and missed a portion of Meheg's lecture. And they have the unique talent to learn and imitate other abilities that they absorb by being around those with special powers. Most are born with some sort of innate ability and then gather other powers through contact with scions. Of course, they also learn them from the training here and or private training from a magistrate. Coming out of his thoughts and back to the present, Darian realized class was almost over, and he had missed most of what Mehek had to say. Embarrassed, he decided to study up on his own rather than ask questions that might reveal that he wasn't paying attention. Once class ended, everyone left and went back to their dorms to study the homework of the day. Everyone except for Darian, who had an appointment in the gym. He arrived there to find Jake straightening up the balance beam and the surrounding mats. Noticing Darian's arrival, Jake motioned to some nearby chairs. Uh, Mr. Kane, have a seat. We'll get started in just a moment. He sat down across from Darian. But first, question. What is it you hope to gain from these training sessions? I guess I want a clearer understanding of my abilities. That's an excellent answer. I want to begin with a little sparring. This can often trigger latent abilities. Actually, before we get started, I wanted to ask you about something else. Jake nodded, indicating that he was ready for Darian's question. Well, you probably already know this, but you are my brother-in-law. You married my older sister. A sister I didn't even know I had until Sean told me about her. Yes, I do know who you are. Sam asked me to watch over you and your friends. I don't generally do one-on-one trainings, but since you're family, I want to help you in any way I can. Darian respected his answer. It was honest and forthright. Thanks. I was hoping you might be able to shed some light on why I didn't immediately remember her when we met. It's actually a choice for those in the know. Sam decided not to allow you to remember her because she didn't want you burdened with memories of your childhood together. She felt that it would be too distracting and she wanted you to be able to focus on your studies without being hindered by unpredictable memories of your forgotten family members. She also advised Sean against allowing you to remember him just yet, but I guess Sean had other ideas. I had hoped that he would respect his sister's wishes, but clearly he did not. I'm sorry, but I disagree. I think it's better that I know about Sean and Sam. They are my family, and nothing is more important to me than my family. Still, this isn't the way we wanted you to find out. Maybe we should start your training. Darian nodded in agreement. They both removed their shoes, walked over to the mat, and sprang into action. Jake attempted to strike Darian with a punch to the chest, but Darian deflected it. It went on like that for a short while. Jake was going easy on Darian, and Darian was deflecting every strike. Jake increased his speed and intensity to further test Darian's prowess, but he still deflected every strike. So he went even faster and harder on him, watching as Darian's defensive responses increased to an inhuman speed. Jake could barely keep up, and then Darian struck him in the chest. Jake flew backward across the mat six feet. Darian couldn't believe what he just did. He could see that Jake was injured, 
and ran over to him. Are you okay? I didn't mean to hit you so hard. Jake sat up slowly. I'm okay, but you really knocked me for a loop. Did you notice how fast your arms were moving? I was just defending myself. I didn't even think about it. You also hit pretty hard. I think next time we'll have to use some padding. I wonder how hard you can hit and how fast you can move. He looked over to a mannequin he used for practice, then gestured to it. Let's try something over here. This mannequin has sensors that measure speed, strength, and accuracy of each strike. Don't worry too much about the accuracy for now. Just hit it as hard as you can. This pad will tell me the force with which you hit the mannequin. He picked up the pad as he finished speaking and turned it on. Darian walked over to the mannequin and looked at Jake. So how do you want me to do this? Don't overthink it. Just strike it in the chest. Do a few warm-up punches first and then hit it as hard as you can. Darian gave a few test swings before throwing a real solid punch. The readings on the mannequin's controller shot up very high. He punched it repeatedly, increasingly more powerful. Jake watched as the readings climbed higher and higher, then leveled out after the fifth strike. Okay, stop. According to these readings, you hit with a force much greater than a normal human. Now let's see how fast you are. Begin by striking with your right arm, and then your left, and then just try to hit it as fast as you can. Darian started hitting the mannequin with as much speed as he could muster. He struck faster and faster until he was moving so fast that Jake could only see a blur around Darian's arms. Jake looked at the measured speeds and watched as they increased until they leveled out after the sixth combination strike. Okay, stop. You were going so fast that the measurements got a little confused. I think you may be faster than this machine can record. Are you getting tired or out of breath at all? Darian smiled a little. No, I don't really feel like I did anything. Jake smiled back. Good. I think it's time we see how fast you can run. You'll need to change your clothes. Come over to this pad and stand still. Jake pointed to a small pad that looked a little like a scale. Darian walked over and stepped on the pad. He heard a noise from above and then saw a red light scanning him. Jake watched as the scanner finished. Okay, step off the pad. He then turned his attention to a terminal just to the right of the pad. He hit a few spots on the screen and then used a verbal command. Create a polyflex training outfit for the person that has just been scanned. Make the colors black and dark blue. Darian watched as a small pile of clothing materialized in a small alcove beneath the terminal. Jake motioned for him to take the clothing. The material felt like a heavier spandex. What is polyflex? Polyflex is a material that we use to create training outfits and military uniforms for those with special abilities. It's ultra-durable, conforms to the individual's body shape, and has sensors within to measure your vital statistics. This one will do nicely for the next step in your training. Go to the locker room and get changed. Darian went into the locker room and began to change. Once he had the outfit on, he looked in the mirror. He began to examine the outfit. It was mostly black, with a little blue on the shoulders, forearms, and the inseam of the pants. There were also black boots that seemed to blend right into the pant legs. Darian also liked how the outfit made him look. He was in pretty good shape, and it made him feel like a superhero. He even stood with his hands on his hips to show how the hero pose looked on him. After he was done looking in the mirror, he walked back out into the gym. Jake was standing by the sparring mat. Okay, now let's go out to the track and see how fast you can run. The outfit you're wearing will cut down on wind resistance. Jake motioned for Darian to follow him outside. When they arrived at the track, Jake started to give Darian instructions. 
I want you to start running at a normal pace and increase your speed gradually until you're running as fast as you can. Now, we'll need to establish an active link with our personal communicators so we can speak during your run. We'll both need to perform three rapid taps and hold at the same time. On three. One, two, three. They both performed the required steps, establishing an active link. Darian walked onto the track and started jogging at a normal pace. By the time he was a quarter of the way around the track, he was at an average running speed. He continued to increase speed every few seconds. Jake tapped the tablet that was in his hand and opened the application that was tracking Darian's speed. By the time the application was open, Darian was running at 40 miles per hour. A few seconds later, he reached 50 miles per hour, then 60 miles per hour. The steady rise continued until he was running at 500 miles per hour. He leveled out there for a few minutes. Jake looked up and saw that Darian was a blur circling the track. Curious, Jake started to ask a few questions. Darian, how do you feel? I'm okay, I guess. How fast am I going? You're steady at 500 miles per hour. Do you feel out of breath at all, or are you tired? No, I think I'm okay. I think I can go faster. Jake looked back at the tablet to see 550 miles per hour, then 570, and a few moments later he was running at 700 miles per hour. Jake came to a sudden realization that Darian was about to break the sound barrier. Darian, I think you've done enough. Slow down now or you're going to break the sound barrier. Really? I'm fine. Sound barrier, huh? I can deal with that. Darian ran a little faster, and there was a loud boom. You okay? Yeah, but I think I will slow down now. That was pretty loud. Darian slowed rapidly until he was back to a typical running pace, then gradually came to a full stop. His breathing wasn't labored at all. His face was a little red, but that went away in a few seconds. Jake walked over to Darian on the track. How do you feel now? Hungry. According to these stats, your heart rate never increased beyond that of a healthy male on a leisurely jog. Wow. Darian paused, remembering something. Didn't I hover earlier? Weren't we going to see if I could fly? Jake looked at him with his right eyebrow raised. I think we've done enough training today. Why don't we work on that one tomorrow? Go back to your dorm and order some food, get some rest, and don't forget to stretch. With how fast you're going, your muscles might hurt in the morning. Also, don't forget to change back into your street clothes. Okay, but why didn't I know I had these abilities? You mean, why did they not manifest on Earth? Yeah. This place, the environment, it can bring forward latent abilities. Don't worry, you'll still have them when you return. Tomorrow we'll work on the balance beam to see if your telekinetic flight abilities will kick in. There are a few other tests I want to do on you, but they can wait till tomorrow. Go get some rest. Darian changed into his street clothes and exited the building. He ran across the campus to his dorm at top speed, arriving in an instant. I could get used to this. He smiled. As things began to wind down for the day, Kristen, Chad, and Cynthia left their rooms and headed to the courtyard for their last class, botany with Miss Harvey. They stepped through the automatic doors and began to absorb their surroundings in full. They relaxed now that there were no crises occurring. The immaculately trimmed grass, perfectly sculpted shrubbery, and trees were so pristinely kept that any single blade of grass or leaf would stick out like a polar bear in a colony of emperor penguins. A diverging concrete pathway was lined with a miscellaneous assortment of flowers. Sidewalks led all around the exterior of the school to various doorways. Where the stinging possum beetle carcasses had laid, just a simple patch of grass remained. Every so often, the group would see a bench on the side of the path, 
under the shade of a tree. Kristen, Chad, and Cynthia followed the path to the center of the courtyard, ending in a clearing surrounded by trees. The trees here seemed dense, as if they were obscuring the views of anyone who would look out a window. Unlike the ones along the pathway, which seemed open, as trees were sparse. In the center of the clearing lay a fountain, about twice as tall as any person in the group. It wasn't grandiose in appearance, but appeared mundane in all regards. A statue of a Timor was erected on top, which sprayed water out of its mouth into the basin below. More native animal statues circled around it, also emitting streams of water into the basin. At the base of the fountain was a collection of five people, one of which Kristen recognized immediately. Alicia! Alicia began counting the people who arrived and looked calm and cheery. She stood atop the bottom basin's side and called everyone's attention with a loud whistle. Hello everyone, I am Miss Harvey and I will be teaching you botany. I can see all of you are here now, so let's all go for a hike in the woods and look at the different plants. And if you are feeling so bored and unexcited about getting some sun and exercise while examining the local foliage, I will demand a 20-page report from every single one of you on what you have learned today, excluding the notes I will need for reference. And in these notes, I will need every single inane detail I include, even jokes and or puns, word for word. She smiled cheekily at the culprit, who then straightened up with a smile. One person in the crowd glared at them. All right then, now that that's settled. Alicia stepped down from the fountain and walked down the path. Let's all begin by walking out through the barrier which protects the school from threats in the wild. Hope you all brought bug spray. <laughs> Just kidding, it's pretty useless out there. Cynthia shifted a bit uncomfortably as she became conscious again of the stinging possum beetle stab wound she'd received. Chad noticed her hand briefly clutching the wounded area and decided to stick close to her in case she needed him. As they began their walk down a long and winding trail into a densely forested area, some of the local plant life looked peculiar and alien. Kristen noted a flower which was beautiful and enchanting. It bloomed on a tree. It looked exactly like a honeysuckle, except its petals looked as if they'd been dipped in yellow dye. She wanted to reach out and touch it, and maybe pluck it to keep in her room. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. The voice from behind caused her to jerk her hand back. That one's poisonous, exclusively to rodents, avian, and primates. It gives off an unusually sickening smell that repels people, but I guess you didn't notice that. Oh, I didn't notice. Thanks. I'll leave it then. But what does it do exactly? She noticed this man point his finger towards a frail-looking petite girl who was covered in large red and purple rashes, sitting in a daze and was exhaling a white mist. Oh no! What's happening to her? The poison tends to present a mild anaphylactic reaction in anyone who consumes it. It's most often accompanied with a rash. Upon a close inspection, you would note a powder projecting outward with each of her breaths. This is the substance from the flower which she had inhaled. It is invisible while the poison molecules are attached, but becomes visible once the poison has been delivered and it has been rendered harmless. The poison also puts the person in a daze, though that may be because she fell from that tree up there after plucking the poison suckle. 
The man stared at the poor girl with eyes the color of steely gray, smoldering with sympathy for her. He went to retrieve Alicia. Alicia healed the girl with some kind of antidote. After a few moments, the girl was back on her feet and the group continued to move. After several more miles of trudging through the woods, Cynthia felt exhausted. She had learned all manner of fascinating facts about some of the flora around them. The group was passing a small creek when the very air around them began to feel heavy and humid. She needed to rest soon. As exhaustion overtook her, the steely-eyed man gave her a small flower. It felt very loose and weighty, while at the same time felt like it would slip through her fingers. It reflected light similar to a rainbow reflecting a crystal, but it remained transparent where the lights didn't catch. The outer membrane is very thin. Drink it. He took another flower and sipped from it as well, leaving behind a translucent white sack. Cynthia did the same piercing the membrane with her teeth and drinking the fluids inside. It tasted pure like water, and she felt energy return to her body in a wave. She looked at the remnants of what she just consumed curiously, wondering how such a thing could exist. The man pointed ahead to a tree where Miss Harvey was presenting her lecture. On this tree, a thin layer of a slimy membrane forms on the exterior, and then a dew drips from the tree. When enough dew is collected, a small flower is formed. It's essentially just a sack of water encased a membrane that is simply punctured, but the water is very pure and natural. Always fills people with the sense of refreshment after consumption. Also, sometimes this membrane can dimple as a fertilizer for surrounding plant life as they carry remaining nutrients from the water and potentially anything else that gets stuck in the membrane. A small blur of red lightly parkoured its way up the tree and tried to grab some of these sacks. Unfortunately, she popped several of them before she could grab one in her hands, and when she landed on the ground, she slipped and the sack of water slid out of her hands, bursting on her head. She tilted her head down, seemingly embarrassed, her face turning redder than her vibrant strawberry-colored hair. The steely-eyed man lent her his jacket, and the group continued moving. The group walked further along and came upon a clearing where they found a four-foot-tall flower. The flower was blue in the center and had golden leaves with little white hair-like projections streaming down the sides. The leaves around the stem covered the plant like a little apron. Golden light streamed through the canopy of the woods, giving the flower an angelic light. Something was strange about the surrounding area, the very air feeling very different than where they currently were standing. Kristen noticed that the steely-eyed man seemed to keep his distance. She trusted his judgment and motioned to the others to stay back. Chad and Cynthia followed her silent suggestion, but the little red-haired girl moved closer. As she approached the flower, she doubled over on the ground and began shaking a bit. Chad knew he had to do something to help this poor girl. He couldn't just leave her in pain. Soon she began laughing raucously, uncontrollably, and unable to stop. Alicia's smile went away as soon as she saw what had befallen the poor girl. Everyone, this is called the Alice Flower. It's mildly dangerous because any person who walks near it is overcome with a strange sense of joy and giddiness due to the pollens it expels. Sometimes this causes it to entangle its victims in everlasting euphoria until they die of it. The white projections you see are useful to doctors as they carry the pollen of the flower, which can be used to create anesthetics similar to laughing gas. 
It is named after a woman called Alice who happened upon it one day and burst into a hysterical laughter. Then again, at that time, it was only centimeters tall, and since then it has grown at an exponential rate. Only 30 years ago, it was two and a half feet tall, roughly the size of a rabbit. Now it is four feet tall and barely the size of a small girl. You may think of Alice in Wonderland when you see it, but I assure you that Lewis Carroll had nothing to do with it. In fact, the fictitious Alice may be based off of the flower. Miss Harvey, how would we be able to get someone away from the Alice flower? And how would you get close enough to harvest the white hair-like projections? I'm glad you asked. We harvest the projections by sending in little drones or robots to collect them since they aren't affected by the pollens. As for saving someone from the clutches of the plant, I'm not sure. I guess you could try throwing in a large branch or something to pull her out. The steely-eyed man crouched down to the ground and placed his hand upon the roots of a nearby tree. The tree limbs stretched outward like arms and grew longer at an exponential rate. They scooped up the red-haired girl and set her down outside of the clearing. Her laughter ceased and she began coughing a bit. Thank you. Alicia tossed her a canteen and she began to drink fervently from it. When the girl finally recovered, the group began moving again. Cynthia was still curious about the Alice flower. So, if the euphoric state it induces causes death, how did the lady who discovered it survive to tell anyone? Initially, she studied it from afar and kept a log. Eventually, she decided to test its effects on humans, and she foolishly approached the still mysterious plant with no one else around. But she didn't survive. Fortunately for the rest of us, a few researchers happened upon her body. They saw the Alice flower nearby and assumed it the likely cause of her death, and so they quickly carried away her body along with the nearby logbook. After returning her body to civilization, they read her logbook, which in its final pages contained frantic and shaky scribbles, describing in short sentences how the plant was affecting her. Since then, many students at the academy have worked with her to learn her gifts. As Miss Harvey spoke, she began walking down the trail towards another group of plants. Excuse me, Miss Harvey, but why are you pulling us away from the Alice flower so soon? It's interesting to hear about, and I want to know more. Yes, it's interesting, but so many students just walk up to it carelessly and get stuck there. It happens in every class, and it's a little frustrating to watch. It's relieving to see it happen only once in this class, which tells me either you're all really smart or you're all really cautious, both of which are excellent traits for this academy, except for the one student who insisted upon getting closer. I will say this is record. Can you believe I've had whole classes just approach this plant? It's unbelievable. People are naturally curious. They have to be taught to be cautious. I tend to be too curious myself and get into dangerous situations sometimes. Could a spell be put around it or a talisman be used to prevent the effects? Now why hasn't anyone tried to get rid of it if it's such a problem? Some in the United Alliance of Dimensions Command have actually wanted to remove it for years now. I've been appealing to them that we need it for medical purposes despite the nuisance it can be. It's more useful here functioning than it is extinct. Kristen, hematite can be used if one knows how to create a shield, but with our groundskeeper helping us on this hike, we can usually deter most from any long-term injury. Why not just keep it in a garden at the school or even in a greenhouse? Because it grows at an exponential rate, and its area of effect increases with it. 
keeping it near civilization could be detrimental to the people nearby. That, and while I believe that domestic plants are good for the academy, we have no idea how this plant will adapt or change. It seems to be the only one of its kind. Later that evening, Darian and Kristen were playing a card game, Magic the Gathering, in their dorm room. Kristen stopped and looked up at Darian with concern. I have a bad feeling. Something dark, something evil is happening right now. And we're here at the Academy, just playing games with no way to know what's happening on our Earth. The bad dreams, the ones I've been having since before graduation, haven't stopped. In fact, they've become more and more frequent. What if we have a code? Like a secret signal that we can use to identify ourselves in case we ever get separated. Like what? What do you mean? If we got captured and we needed to prove our identity to one another, we could exchange a phrase. Okay, here's something. Kid Flash. Isn't he one of our favorite lesser-known comic characters? That can be our code. So if either one of us needs to prove ourselves to the other, we just say Kid Flash? Exactly. In the meantime, I'd like to see if there's a way to phone home. I miss everyone, especially your parents. They've always been like my own. You're full of great ideas tonight. I'm so glad I married you. Darian pulled her close and kissed her forehead. Kristen looked up at him and smiled. I only have good ideas. August 2nd, 1995. With blood-stained, shaking hands, I write this. They got Jamie. The fuckers grabbed her tightly braided ponytail and drained her entire body. Her eyes rolled back into her head and she started gurgling like there was phlegm stuck in her throat. I don't even know if I feel like fighting for my life anymore. Without Matt's energy, without Jamie, without Max, without anyone. What's the fucking point? I'm starting to look a bit skeletal. Beans and canned vegetables are not enough to sustain a person who has to fight for her life daily. As a twin, it's difficult for me to cope through this loneliness without someone. Maybe Jake and I will find another survivor who will help us. Or maybe we'll become the appetizers. And journal entry. Hey, babe. Looking fine. What's different? Wait. Let me guess. Where's your scar? Did you get it removed? No, babe. I'm just trying something new. This makeup chick came to the door, and she gave me free makeover. She did such a good job that I decided to let her go instead of feeding her to the vampires. Wow, you really did like her. Are you guys going to be BFFs or something? I'm not sure yet. I did place an order with sassy lashes with Ash. I suppose I'll follow her in her magenta class dimensions on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That way I can find her in case I change my mind. Still, it does look like she gave you a pretty good hookup on nature-inspired products. And you look wicked hot. Thanks, babe. That's Sassy Lashes with Ash. Look it up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can purchase her products from her website, sassylasheswithash.com. Thank you for listening to the fourth episode of Battalion 13, the podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Battalion13HQ. Email us at b13 at Battalion13HQ.com. Support the show by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash Battalion13HQ.